Well, hello again, church. So as I said earlier this morning, we're going to do things a little bit differently, and already it uh, appears to be different. Uh, So uh, as we look to wrap up this series on the hope of heaven, um, what we wanted to do was, was toward the end of it here is have a time of... uh, of Q and a Q&A of sorts. So uh, this morning with uh, several commonly held questions as it pertains to heaven, and some of those questions came from the body here at Stone Point as well. Um, uh, Edward and I, Edward, is, uh, Edward Barrett is one of our elders here, and uh, he and I are going to um, look to answer some of these questions. Uh, Dwight Stoltzfus is going to be our, our MC, and, and uh, nailed it, didn't I? Yeah. Uh, I haven't always got that one right, <laughs> but, uh, but Dwight is going to um, kind of emcee our time and just be asking some of the questions we'll be looking to answer. So uh, some of the questions are going to be uh, what might seem silly, uh, and they'll be relatively short, um, you know, but as it pertains to heaven, certainly I think we can understand there's some silly questions that come about, um, but there's also going to be some questions along the way that are, that are a bit more weighty you know, and have some theological significance to them. So I uh, pray that this time is, is, is um, edifying to you all. Um, but, uh, but yeah, let's, let's get started. Yeah. You know, you're good with that. So, Dwight. Um, yeah. So I, I guess right off the bat, um, pun intended on that, Cody, you got the first question. Okay. Will there be sports in heaven? Will there be sports in heaven? Okay. the Cowboys play. So, yeah, I don't know if the Cowboys are going <laughs> to play in heaven. Uh, but if they did... <laughs> 1995 again, maybe? I mean, I don't, I don't know. Yeah. Uh, 1990 eternity, perhaps. But, um, uh, but will there be sports in heaven? So Zechariah um, 8.5 says this. He says, in the streets of the city, uh, it says, and the streets of the city shall be full of boys and girls playing in its streets. And Zechariah, he's talking about the, uh, the new Jerusalem. He's talking about eternity to come in heaven. And he says that in its streets... It'll be full of boys and girls playing. Um, now, the word for playing there, um, it, it makes it clear there's going to be some sort of play. Um, but in the Hebrew, the word there uh, can mean literally to make sport is what the word would mean. So you could take away from that that, yes, in heaven there will be sport of some kind. Uh, but now, I think... The second part of that question, when we think about sports, you know, on this side of heaven, um, there's an application or there's a nature to our sport, um, and that is uh, one that is competitive, right? We get together and we play sports and we compete against one another. But now that idea, I don't know if I would believe in heaven there's going to be competitive sports. Um, We may still play baseball. Um, You know, there may be tennis and golf and those things, Um, but if they do exist, I think they would exist for our enjoyment of that thing, to enjoy it, not necessarily to compete against one another. Because to be competitive in any way would be to what pit ourselves against one another. And we're in heaven, you know, where there's perfection and all of that stuff. I don't see us being against one another in any way in there. But I would say they're sports, but not in the way we experience them now. Big, big yard. Or we can play football. Yeah, I mean, we'll be in a big, big yard. Yeah, I mean, you know, in the beginning, <laughs> the big inning. Big inning. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I'm glad y'all finished that for me because you know, it doesn't land the same if you have to explain your own joke. Uh, but we also enter His courts with praise. So, 
there's courts. Courts, like tennis courts. Or All right, I'm going to turn it. So we need the drummer, you know, put in. Number one, number two. <laughs> All right, so, um, Edward, this one's you. You get the more difficult, challenging one. Will we be naked in heaven? All right. I don't so even get feel right asking. Out of the way. All right. Is it naked or naked? Naked. Naked. Okay. Okay. I just thought I'd Maybe. I understand naked better. Um, it's kind of a weird word, naked. I mean, but anyway. <laughs> See how many times we can say naked on a Sunday morning <laughs> in church. Well, it, in, in God's word, it, it brings up naked, you know, like. Right out of the gate. Right out of the gate, it says naked. And that was before sin entered to the world, right? So um, I digress. Anyways, yes. Yeah. So um, in, in God's word, it, it talks about um, just clothes and clothing and all that sort of stuff. Like it, in Matthew, it says angels who appeared to humans were always clothed. Mm-hmm. Um, Jesus ascended in clothing, mm-hmm. you know. Um, Revelation, let's see, Revelation... Four talks about the 24 elders at the throne of God were wearing white clothing. Revelation 6.11 are given, they're given clothing, clothing in heaven. Um, a great multitude that no one could number from every nation, from all tribes and peoples and tongues, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed in white robes with palm branches in their hands. And that's Revelation 7.9. Um, so it looks like that there will be clothes in heaven but what what that looks like you know like in our in our mind like we think of clothes as what this is but like how how the lord clothes us that i think that's the better question yeah what that actually looks like yeah yeah Yeah, i mean we have no idea but apparently we'll have some sort of clothing we'll have resurrected bodies too so it's like what does that even look like right um so i think that answers the question yeah but here's i can i add a just yeah please little zinger to that is um, this comes to mind because you, at the beginning, you know, Adam and Eve sinned and then they realized they were naked. So prior to the realization that they were naked, implication would be that Adam yeah. and Eve were in fact naked before they realized their nakedness. So if, as we've talked about through this series, mm-hmm. that the new heaven and new earth is a return to Eden, right. could it be said then that we would be naked, but somehow, but in not some really way, clothed. Uh, so... But not, but not naked, because maybe naked no longer exists. Isn't what right? naked once was, or as we understand naked to be. But if we did have clothes, this, this here's my mind where, where it goes to, like, imagine the wash machines and dryers and all that that we'd have to have to wash our clothes. Would our clothes get dirty? Would we need to wash them? Hey, you know? See? I don't know. <laughs> so a, a question and pure, pure and white. All yeah, time. it's a question and answer panel or a question and discussion yeah. panel about possible answers um, on some of these. I'm sure. <laughs> yeah. um, all right. So mo- moving on, um, Edward, you got this next one. What meat will we eat in heaven? If meat is consumed in heaven, do animals die again? Okay. Um, so I, I I love steak. I love. I love meat. Like I'm, I'm a meat eater. Um, Amen. Yeah. Amen. <laughs> um, it talks about in Ezekiel, Ezekiel 47, 9 through 10. It says during the millennium or in the, the new earth, um, it talks about just fishermen spreading their nets over the sea and, and catching fish. And, you know, is that just an allegory for something else? I don't know. Um, do know that in the Isaiah 65, it talks about the wolf and the lamb will feed together, and the lion will 
eat straw like the ox. They will neither harm nor destroy. So we're told that animals will um, they'll change their eating habits. So um, new heaven, new earth, new us, would our eating habits change back to, as you, we talked about, back mm-hmm. to Eden. Like in Eden, we had all vegetables and fruit to eat. They're probably wonderful, more wonderful than anything we can imagine. So I would imagine that we would go back to some sort of form of that. Yeah. I think for the, for the picky eater, you know, to have glorified taste buds. Um, You're speaking of yourself, right? Yeah, I'm totally about me. I don't know. Picky eaters in the room? <laughs> Work with me. Such, I'm, I'm a child when it comes to food. Um, I wasn't made to eat things I didn't like as a kid. But, um, uh, yeah, so fruits and vegetables, eh, you know. But in heaven, they're probably going to be awesome. Yeah. Not probably. They're going to be awesome. Yeah. The hope of heaven is good food. Yeah. It's a banqueting table, so it's, it's going to be good. Table, yes. All right. So, um, Cody, this is for you. Who can, who can we assume are sitting on the 12 thrones? If it's the disciples, did somebody else take Judas's spot? Okay. Um, so, um, in, in Matthew, he does give an account of this, of Jesus speaking to his disciples, and and Jesus specifically says this to them in Matthew 19, verse 28. He says to them, uh, Truly I say to you, in the new world, uh, when the Son of Man will sit on his glorious throne, throne, you who have followed me will also sit on 12 thrones, judging the 12 tribes of Israel. Um, so we see in this here that there are going to be 12 thrones, according to Jesus. And he makes clear that those that are going to sit on those 12 thrones will be his disciples. So to answer the first part of the question disciples will sit there. Second part of the question there is, if that's the case, who, who took Judas's spot? Um, so there has some, been some debate over the years around who this is. Uh, some would say the Apostle Paul because of how prevalent you see the Apostle Paul in the first century and the establishment of the church. I mean, he becomes foundational to theology as we know it. So many would reason that Yes, it's going to be the Apostle Paul that he's going to take that spot. It's going to be his name on the foundations of the New Jerusalem, as you read at the end of Revelation. However, um, we read in Acts chapter 1, starting in verse 16 and following, the disciples actually address this specific thing. Um, And it's Peter, he begins to note, or he doesn't begin, he just notes that one, Scripture had to be fulfilled in Judas' betrayal. Um, there was, it was prophetic that Jesus would be um, uh, betrayed. And it was prophetic that it had to be one of the 12. And in this case, it was Judas. So Peter makes that, that note. But then likewise, Scripture had to be con- fulfilled c- concerning his replacement. And Peter quotes from Psalm 109, verse 8, um, which says, Let another take his office. So he has a biblical standpoint for Judas's betrayal, but there's also a biblical standpoint for replacement of Judas. Um, but then what follows is Peter lays down some requirements for who that person is. He says specifically in verse 21 that that person has to be someone that has been with them for all the time Jesus spent on earth. So since Jesus' baptism by, uh, uh, by John, there had to be somebody that has walked with them the entire time. And um, that came down to two men uh, who was, um, uh, one was called Barsabbas, who was called Justice, and the other was Matthias. And what they did to decide between these two men is that they prayed, Scripture says that they prayed together, and then they cast lots. 
And it says that the lot fell on Matthias. So Matthias, it says specifically, was then counted among them. Um, So based on that, you see very plainly that there's a discussion on who the replacement is according to biblical um, fulfillment. And then they cast lots for two men who've been with Jesus the entire time and it fell on Matthias. So I would take it at face value that um, the person that took Matthias' spot was, or not Matthias, the person that took Judas' spot was Matthias. Um, And some may argue that you never hear about Matthias again throughout the New Testament. So shouldn't it be the Apostle Paul because of his prevalence in Scripture? But you also, you never really hear about what happened to Bartholomew um, throughout the rest of the New Testament. You don't hear about James the Less. Um, you know, you don't hear about Simon the Zealot through the rest of the New Testament. Uh, but they are numbered with, uh, in the book of martyrs, uh, Matthias included. So I wouldn't add to Scripture. I would take out of Scripture what it says. Um, so to answer the question, I would say the disciples, 12, will sit on the thrones and Matthias would be in Judas's spot. Nice. All right, so back to you on this one, another lengthy question. When the last big battle between God and Satan takes place, will we be a part of that army? If so, is there a chance of us dying again during that battle? Sorry. Um, So this is one of those weighty questions um, that can be difficult to answer. As I was working through the answer to this question, I was, I was not tempted. If I was tempted, I gave into it. But I mean, I was, I was just compounding on my response to this to where when I'm wor- speaking it out with my wife, it came to a point where she was confused. And I was like, okay, well, let's just, let's just keep it simple. So um, I'm going to try and keep it simple here. Uh, but the answer to this question can fall on where you land as far as is there a, post, a pre-trib rapture of the church versus a post-trib rapture of the church. I'm going to answer based on my belief that It's on a pre-tribulation rapture of the church. Um, uh, So the first part of the question, when the last big battle between God and Satan takes place, will we be part of that army? I would say yes, uh, the church, you and I, believers, will be part of that army. In Revelation 19, verse 11, and then 13 and 14, uh, John says this. He says, Then I saw heaven opened, and behold, a white horse, and the one sitting on it is called Faithful and True. And the name of which he is called is the Word of God. We know from John chapter 1 that in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. We understand that to be Jesus as the Word became flesh and dwelt among us in 14 of John 1. Um, So as John, the same person that wrote the gospel, sees heaven open, sees a white horse, and he sees this one that's called faithful and true, the Word of God. We understand that to be Jesus um, as he's speaking about But then verse 14 of Revelation 19 says that, And the armies of heaven, arrayed in fine linen, white and pure, were following him on white horses. So there you have the statement of Jesus coming um, uh, down from heaven, and coming with him is the armies of heaven. Now, who is the armies? Um, And I would say that's us. Um, uh, It can be taken, the armies of heaven, as the angels. Um, You could take it that way, however... Uh, In Revelation chapter 17, verse 14, um, John identifies those that are coming with the Lamb. The Lamb and Jesus are synonymous uh, throughout Revelation. So verses, verse 17, or chapter 17, verse 14 says, um, They will make war on the Lamb, and the Lamb will conquer them. 
For he is the Lord of hosts and the King of kings. And those with him are called and chosen and faithful. So you see this mentioned in two places here. John is describing the same event that heavens are opened. Jesus is coming. His armies are coming with him. In one place they're called the armies of heaven in chapter 17. It says that they are called and chosen and faithful. We don't read anywhere in scripture where an angel is described as called, chosen, and faithful. But throughout New Testament teaching, you see God's church and his people as the called, the chosen, and the faithful. So I would take it based on those descriptions there that it's the church. If, it's, if the church was raptured before the tribulation, um, and it's at the end of the tribulation, Jesus comes with his army, uh, I would take it that it is you and I, the church, who are part of that army, army coming with him as called, chosen, and faithful. Um, now, the second part of that question is um, if there's a chance of us dying during that battle, what has happened there? So um, after the thousand-year reign, after the millennial kingdom has ended, Satan is going to be loosed. He's going to be let loose again to go and tempt the nations, which he will do. And he will gather the nations, those that do not believe and do not follow Jesus once again, and he will gather them all together um, and then Jesus will be there with his army and with us. And then it says specifically in Revelation 20, 9 and 10, And they marched up over the broad plain of the earth and surrounded the camp of the saints and the beloved city. But fire came down from heaven and consumed them. Um, so before a weapon is fired, before, before a missile is shot, a bullet is, is loosed from a barrel, a fire comes from heaven and consumes them all. So I would say... We make up that army, but there won't be any fighting on our part. Part It will be a word of the Lord, and they will be consumed, and the battle will end before it ever begins. Um, and then from that point is, is the joy and elation. Is, is, is all the wicked are thrown into the fire that burns with sulfur, and Satan is thrown in that same place never to return again. The ultimate victory and vindication of mankind. So, um, yeah, cool question. Sure. Yeah. All right, Edward, so we got one for you. Um, will the people that have gone on before us be able to talk to us when we get to heaven, or can we talk to them? So you know what I think about when, when, when I hear that? Just So we all know the story of Scrooge, right? And like the ghost of what past, present, and future, or something like that, yeah. And then so he gets taken off or whatever into whatever place he's at and he can't communicate with any of the people that's there like it's a scene and he's just like inserted into it and nobody can see him but he can see everybody and can't communicate so I, th I think about just that when that question is asked and um, so if 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 we weren't able to communicate with one another that's kind of like how it would be like this you know not paradise not heaven like can you imagine like not being able to communicate with with other people like mm -hmm. as if you're mute or and they or and you're invisible you know um but i just think about as as we're we're brothers and sisters in christ and even the ones who have gone on before us are our brothers and sisters in christ and we're family so why would we not be able to communicate with one another um yeah that's how i'd answer that i mean we can go kind of go to you know uh, as angels are ministering spirits God's spirit, you know, we also get to be ministers of reconciliation to one another. So mm -hmm. even in heaven, are we ministering to one another? 
So that's how I'd answer that. And, and if I may, like, one of the things I've always thought on is that God's created us for fellowship. He's a that's God right. of fellowship. Right. So why would that be taken away? That's right. You know, um, it seems to be that it would be even amplified yeah. even more so. So we're made for community, yeah, if you will, absolutely. Yeah. right? Yeah. All right. So one more, just kind of on the heels of that, will we recognize others? Um, so <laughs> will we recognize others? Um, so Christ, uh, let's say, let, let's just give an example. When, when Christ died and he was resurrected, his disciples um, recognized him, right? I know that's not in heaven. That's kind of on earth. But let's go back to the the back to community and we're built for community can imagine like not being able to recognize your family you know it's kind of the same concept i would i would think yeah yeah and casey and i were actually talking about this is you know jesus says that that in heaven we're neither you know given in marriage nor we are we married you know so it's 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 an odd thing to wrap your mind around you know for on this side of heaven, the one relationship that is the most intimate in heaven isn't going to be that. It's, it's hard for me to conceptualize my wife is not going to be my wife. But to that question, am I going to recognize her as my wife? Mm. You know, as we were discussing that, I just kind of thought, well, yeah, I think I would recognize you as my wife. I don't think that good memory um, of what God instituted to be a display of his gospel and his glory I don't think the memory of that's going to be completely removed from me. But as we discussed that, I just kind of thought, you know, I can't ground it really in anything other than just to me, logically, I'm going to recognize her as my wife on earth. But our relationship, there's going to be an understanding that our relationship in heaven is not that. And any awkwardness or any emotion that would be tied to that in a negative would be removed. It would just be an understanding of our roles are different. I know and recognize you to be who you were and how wonderful that is, but it doesn't take away from what our present relationship would be like. Now, that's just, that's my head. Um, again, I can't ground that in any theology necessarily, but just an interesting thing to think through. And, and I, to further that, I just think about um, when, we're, when, when we do or are in heaven, what is our focus on, Right. Like that, that kind of changes yeah. the, the, the view or the filter that we're, yeah. we're coming through. That's true, you know? yeah. Is it on my wife or is it on the Lord? Yeah. But it could also be said on this side of heaven, where is my fo- focus to be landed? Is it on my wife or is it on the Lord? Amen. That shouldn't change depending on where I'm at. Uh, it should be on the Lord. And then out of, out of that focus on the Lord spills out into any other relationship. So why wouldn't that exist the same in heaven? In perfection. And in our fellowship, where is our focus to be? Questions. <laughs> sure. <laughs> well, for brothers and sisters in Christ, like friends, right? Like, yeah. We would already be friends, so yeah. maybe we, we don't. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I would, sure. I would the answer is sure. yes. So yes. 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 We yes. make friends in heaven. Short, short and simple. Yeah. All right. So, Cody, you get these. Real quick, just, 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 yeah. uh, just right. to throw this in there. Will we have best friends? <laughs> Will we have a BFF? Can we change the question? Add to it? Uh, 
Elder campus pastor. I, th- I, think, we can, I think we can do that. How, how, how many BFFs? I just read. Have? <laughs> like, how many? If we have a BFF, someone is not our. Yeah. Okay. So still yeah. yes. Still yes. Okay. Okay. Yes. Just checking. That's, that's wrong. All right. Yes. So Cody, you get the easy can one now. Cha- well, hold on. Can we change friends from month to month? Like <laughs> you know, like the fruit changes. Can we change friends from month to month or week to Is week? Is this what staff meetings are like? <laughs> Question. <real quick. laughs> you're. I don't know. I'm not in staff meetings. You're implying that that there's there's month to month and week to week, day to day. Oh, good. So. So for one part of eternity, we I can have a BFF. I am looking at time right now. Okay. I'm, I'm just going to step off. Time on <laughs> <this>. <laughs> Sorry about that. All right, so, so you get the easy one. And um, yes, this is what staff meetings are like. How, how large will heaven be? How will we track down our loved ones? Okay. Um, so this is a cool one. I like this one. Um, so how large will it be? So um, the measurement of the new Jerusalem in, um, in Revelation 19 is, is helpful. Um, to begin to wrap our mind around this question. So in Revelation 19, verse 15 through 17, um, this is what John says. He says, And the one who spoke with me had a measuring rod of gold to measure the city and its gates and walls. Uh, The city lies four square, its length the same as its width. And he measured the city with his rod, 12,000 stadia. Its length and width and height are equal. Then he says he also measured its wall, 144 cubits by human measurement, which is also an angel's measurement. So mm. he says he sees this angel, he's got the measuring rod, and he's going to measure the city and its gates and its walls. It's important to note those three things. Is he's measuring three different things here. He's measuring the cities, measuring the gates, and he's measuring the walls. Um, so the city's four square in that it's its foundation is the same length and width are the same. Um, but now its overall size, its length, width, and height are all equal. And that's 12,000 stadia. So you, in a way, you view a cube. You know, a cube is, you know, length, width, and height. They're all the same. Therefore, you have a cube. Um, but let's talk as far as their measurement. Uh, so 12,000 stadia. So one stade is 607 feet. Um, so, doing the math, 12,000 stadia would be 1,380 miles. So, the distance from Dallas to Los Angeles would be the length and width, and as he says, the height of the city. So, 1,380 miles. Um, now, 144 cubits, uh, one cubit is, a foot, is one and a half feet, so 18 inches roughly. Um, so, that comes out to around 216 feet, um, and that's the measurement of the walls. So the city is measured, length, width, and height are all the same, 1,380 miles. Um, And the wall is 216 feet. Now there's debate among what that describes as the wall. Is it the height of the wall or the thickness of the wall? And one can argue if if 216 feet is the thickness of a wall that's 1,380 miles tall, that's a rather thin wall compared to its height. so just architecturally and from an engineering background and mindset, that's a bit odd. Um, so I would, from that, I would say that it's likely a description of how high it is. Um, but John says that um, he, uh, that was back in uh, verse 12, says that John saw a great high wall. Um, so 1,380 feet, or miles, I'm sorry, is a great high wall, yes. Uh, but I did some research on that. So the average height 
of walls um, in ancient times or walls built by the Romans was 20 to 33 feet, foot tall. And then the average height of the walls of Jerusalem then was 39 feet. So as John sees a great high wall comparatively to a 39-foot wall average among the Jews, Jerusalem walls, I would say 216 feet tall is a great high wall, comparatively speaking. Um, so I would see that the size of the city is going to be 1,380 miles wide by long, squared, and then high, and it has a wall around it that's 216 foot tall. Um, so now you think through just the size of that city. The distance there, roughly 1,400 miles, is from Dallas to Los Angeles or Dallas to Philadelphia. Um, so imagine this one city. It's covering the entirety of the Midwest and then some extending into Canada. Um, I looked it up um, as far as the distance from uh, the surface of the earth to outer space. And uh, there's a line that's referred to as the Von Karman line. Uh, from the surface of the earth to this line is 62 miles. Hmm. So this height of the city would extend into space over 1,300 miles. Um, so, I mean, you, you could be on the moon and you see this city sitting in America protruding into space. So I would say that the new earth is going to be relatively large to hold such a city. Um, how large? I don't, I don't know, other than to wrap our mind around the size of the city versus how large the earth would need to be to hold such a city uh, and all the people. So the second part of the question there is then how, um, how do we track down our loved ones? And um, if it's that large... Um, Cell phones? Well, I, I, would, I, would, I would say patiently. <laughs> that's, yeah, that's what I would say. Yeah, patiently track down our loved ones. All right. All right. Yeah. All right, so Edward, you got this one. Are books such as 90 Minutes in Heaven, Heaven is for Real, and 23 Minutes in Hell biblically sound? Well, um, I would have to adequately say I have no idea. Next question. I'm just kidding. No. <laughs> well, <laughs> part of that is like, no, I don't know because I have not, I've not read all of these, these things. Um, but... I talk about um, some resurrection stuff, just for example. Um, many saints rose from the dead at the resurrection of Jesus. It talks about in Matthew 27. Um, we got, you know, Jesus rose from the dead, obviously. Jesus raised the son of a widow. Um, he, Jesus rose from the dead, many people. And then we got Paul, we got Peter that have done some other things. Um, just talking about just people coming back from the dead, being able to talk about it, whatever, like, we don't know anything that's talked about. Like, they don't say anything. But here's one piece of scripture that um, we, we can't overlook. It says John in John 3, 3, 3.13, No one has ascended into heaven except he who descended from heaven, the Son of Man. And the NLT puts it this way. No one has ever gone to heaven and returned, but the Son of Man has come down from heaven. Um, and in John 1.18 says, No one has seen God at any time. Um, just... And then going further, as, as I think about this, some of these accounts and, and whatnot, um, you know, these extra-biblical accounts and, and things like that, and I read something also about heaven from Randy Alcorn, who I love Randy Alcorn, love that he's a great author and all that stuff, but his, 
his stuff is not the word of God. And also, like, the chosen. Like, we love the chosen. We love everything that's in it. It's meant for encouragement. However, it's not the word of God. And we have to take God's word and be able to interpret what, what we see, not mm-hmm. these books and all that stuff about accounts of what happened in heaven. Like, if it's not in God's word, then we got to discount it for that. And that would be my answer for that. Yeah. So maybe not discredit it, but be discerning Absolutely. in any of that stuff. Absolutely. But using the word of God as the absolute. Yep. Cool. Yeah. No, I think it's, yeah, it's a good answer. Put it. mm-hmm. All right, so Cody, can people in heaven look down and see us? Okay, um, so this, this question um, is an interesting one, just to go ahead and preface it. I don't have a, a clear answer on yes or no on whether or not they can or cannot do that. Um, but just to give an answer for it, um, I, uh, in Hebrews chapter 12, verse 1, it mentions us being surrounded by a great cloud of witnesses. Um, and then what we should do in regards to being surrounded by this cloud of witnesses. Um, And it says, Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. So um, it can be taken that these witnesses are, are spectators in a sense. Paul is using this analogy is that we should run the race with endurance, and it's as it can be taken as these witnesses are looking down, seeing us run um, as if they're spectators in a stadium or something like that. Um, and if that's the case, then the riders, therefore, surrounds us running the race with endurance because these people are watching us. And I think theologically, we can take that and are running the race therefore is because they are watching us instead of running the race to honor the Lord and glorify him. Um, cause he does say immediately following that in verse two, that we should be looking to Jesus, the, the author and perfecter of our faith. Um, so Jesus should be the one to which, you know, he supports our running, but he's the one we're running for. Um, but I believe the word witnesses there, if you translate it in the Greek is the word martyrs. Um, so these witnesses aren't spectators to what we're doing here. I believe that they're, they're a witness to what God has done in their life. These witnesses, they're the, the heroes of the faith in Hebrews 11. And as the writer lays out what their faithfulness was, we see God's faithfulness to them. Um, and they become a witness to what he has done. So as we're surrounded by these witnesses to him... They, we, we find encouragement to continue on our race um, for the Lord. So the Bible does not say specifically here that uh, whether or not people in heaven can look on us, but it doesn't also say specifically that they cannot look on us. Um, but in week two, we saw that um, in heaven, as it is now, heaven as it is now, those there may have an awareness of things that are going on on earth. Um, Revelation nine, or 6, you have the martyrs who are crying out, when are you going to vindicate our blood? So there's an awareness that vindication hadn't been had yet. Um, but it doesn't specifically say that they saw. You have the parable of the rich man and Lazarus, which we've, we've looked at as well. Um, and um, the, the rich man says, hey, will you send somebody to my brothers? So there's an awareness that his brothers don't believe, but it doesn't necessarily see that he, say that he sees his brothers. Um, but nowhere do we read that it necessarily says that they cannot. So to answer the question, can we or can we not, Scripture doesn't indicate that. But Scripture does indicate what is happening in heaven. And, um, 
You know, if, if we're on earth and we trust the Lord to look after our loved ones while we're on earth, how much more we, may we trust the Lord in his presence to take care of things here? We may have an awareness that he's not vindicated everything yet, but we're in, we're in the Lord's presence. And I would say our attention is going to be there versus I'm going to take a time out and go check on my loved ones. Um, I think our focus is going to be on worshiping the Lord there. So not necessarily we can or cannot, but would it be necessary, you know, to do that thing? So Yeah, and that kind of feeds right into this next one for Edward of what are those who have died in, in Christ doing in heaven? How do they commune with God and Jesus, and what do you think they talk about? Well, that's a, that's a good question. Yeah. You know, maybe they're doing their taxes or, you know, like <laughs> seeing how they can help help us. I know, I'm just kidding. Um, you know, like, when I think about that question, um, I think they're all worshiping God. You talked about just that last phrase you said, like, we're in heaven. We're our focus. I don't think our focus is on anything else but him. I mean, in Ephesians, um, Ephesians 4, 6, it says that, that there's one God, and he's all and in all and overall and and he's everything he's all of it right like that's that's our 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 main attention and like we we i think of the cherubim and what are they what are they saying holy 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 you know what i mean like they're praising and worshiping god that's what they're doing that's what they're talking about if they're talking about anything or do they even have time to talk about anything because they're worshiping god Mm -hmm. i think that's what they're doing in heaven yeah yeah that's good hey um we got time for for um, let's go one more. One more. Yeah, one more. All right. So last one, Edward. This is also going to be for you. Okay. Does God really forget our sins? How could an omniscient God forget anything? Good question. That is a, a good question. Um, you know, how does an omniscient God forget sins or, or all that? Well, the the awesome thing is He chooses to. Um, God removes our sins as far as east is from the west. That's what it talks about in Psalm 103, 12, um, like an immeasurable distance, like he chooses to do that. And I love this verse, Isaiah 43, 25. It says, even I, I, even I am he who blots out your transgressions. For my own sake, he remembers your sins no more. So he doesn't remember our sins for his sake, not for ours, but for his so he doesn't put those against us. And then there, um, it even, even goes on. Um, we can join Hezekiah in praising our Redeemer. He has put all my sins behind your back. So that's in um, Isaiah. And he talks about how he's put them behind him. He doesn't think about them. And Paul, um, we can forget what, is, what lies behind and press on towards the goal to win the prize for which God has called us. Um, heavenward in Christ Jesus. And like just just thinking about that as God chose to forget our sins and um, not have them on us anymore. And then furthermore, he took all of our sins and put them on Christ for Christ died for our sins. I mean, it, what, a, what an amazing thought. Mm-hmm. Um, he can forget the sins that, that we've committed because he put them all on Christ. He paid for that. And we no longer have to live in that. Yeah. Praise yeah. the Lord for that. Yeah. And, and here's um, maybe an encouraging thing as we wrap up, as we think about our sin. If God removes it, 
If God doesn't remember it, why do we? I think, I think a lot of us can, can, can continue to carry sin as if it wasn't paid for. Um, even in Christ, we can, we can not experience the full freedom that exists in Christ because we still can define ourselves by sin that has been removed. Um, I think there's a foolishness to that um, as we try and reconcile what we've done, what Christ has done. But if we settle on the promise that it's been removed from us, um, that the Lord has forgotten it so that for his sake it may not be held against us and he's true to his word, um, then we can forget and move forward in freedom. That ultimate freedom, that's, church, that's the hope of heaven, is that one day when, when the old is past and the new has come and all things, the former things have, have been done away with, there's no sin, there's no death, there's no crying, there's no tears, none of those things exist in the new heaven and new earth. Um, if we die now and we go to paradise, as we talked about, there's going to be a remembrance of sin. I think there's awareness that there's still brokenness. But new heaven and new earth, all of that is removed. And we move forward in unity and peace Amen. and fellowship. And church, that's the hope of heaven. And that hope only comes as a result of the work of Jesus Christ and our faith in him. Amen. Um, pray that this was encouraging to you. Um, uh, I've enjoyed it. I've enjoyed this whole series. It's been great for me to study through a lot of these things. Uh, but my heart should look to keep the main thing the main thing, and that is that God is on his throne, and he will always be there. Um, and I pray that my heart is positioned toward that truth, and that, that helps me through my days. Um, let me pray for us, and then we'll wrap up. Lord, thank you. Lord, for today, I thank you for time to, just to, to, to do things a little bit differently, Lord, and I thank you, Lord, that we can have these questions and, and some of the silly ones as well. It's, it's fun to, to just think through and ponder on what may be. Um, and Lord, and for the deeper theological things that exist here, Lord, I, I pray that we do wrestle through some of those. I pray that we do seek your word and your truth on those matters, Lord, uh, to have an understanding because the world is asking these questions. And should we not, as believers in Christ, not seek to have an answer for everything, but be willing to have a discussion with someone who is seeking your truth and be able to direct them to your truth? Because it is your truth, Lord, that changes hearts. No matter how hard, the hardest heart is broken down by the word of your truth. It may not just be an answer to a question, Lord, outside of question a person may have around what must I do to internal, inherit eternal life or as believers we should have a clear response immediately for that truth is to place your hope and your trust and your faith in the person and work of Jesus Christ who died on the cross for your sin to pay the debt that you owe so that you may not perish, you may not die as a wage of the sin that you carry, but that you would have eternal life. That is the hope of heaven that you give us, Lord. And I pray that we learn to convey that to a world that needs it desperately. We love you and we thank you for that promise. And it's in your name we pray. Amen.